Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here um, on this lovely weekend. Um, my name is Melissa. I'm the development pastor here at Four Corners, and I'm so excited to get to share uh, the message with you this morning. Um, I don't do this often, so when I do, it's usually a culmination of several months of what God's been doing in me that I then have the opportunity to share with you. And today is just like that. Um, pastor Ben and Jill are on vacation with their family. Um, I have to say I'm, um, I'm really grateful that he doesn't just talk to me and to our staff and to you guys about the importance of spending time with your family. Um, he actually does it. So they're in Wyoming, I think, today. Um, they were last night, and so um, they're watching online. So, hello, we miss you. Come back soon. <laughs> Don't be late. Um, so, yeah, we're glad that they're watching today, and uh, I'm grateful for his support and the text this morning saying, you're going to do it. It's okay. Um, also, it's Joseph Antley's birthday today, so if you see Pastor Joseph, he's our newest pastor on staff. He's only been here since December, but I feel like it's a lot longer. He has made an amazing addition to our team, really rounded us out, and uh, as a friend and as a colleague, I just, I'm so grateful for him. So if you see him today, make sure you high-five him and tell him happy birthday. Um, you saw the video a minute ago. It is Memorial Day weekend, and what a privilege and an honor it is to remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Um, I have a son in the Navy, so this is kind of a weird time to celebrate Memorial Day for me. I've really never thought about it the way that, um, the way that we should. So um, thank you. If you have uh, suffered the loss of someone in the military, our prayers are with you today. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, but first, let me introduce um, the series. We, we started it last week. It's called Heroes. So today is the perfect day to continue it being Memorial Day. Last week, Pastor Ben talked about Ananias from the book of Acts. Um, and he was a hero because he obeyed God, he listened to God. And because of that simple act of obedience, um, the world was forever changed with the gospel. Um, he took the scales off of Paul's eyes and Paul began um, preaching and teaching and writing two-thirds of the New Testament. It was a fantastic message. So if you missed it, make sure you check it out online. It is on Right Now Media, our website, our YouTube channel, so do that. Um, I'm going to be talking to you today about the prophet Elijah. Um, and Elijah is interesting because he has um, such a, a short, a quick start and then a long story of so many different things you could talk about. He really is a series guy, but I have one day and I have 40 minutes. So we're going to do a 30,000-foot view, and my hope is that you will be so intrigued and inspired by the story that when you get home, you'll read it for yourself. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, I'm just so grateful um, for this opportunity to share your word. I ask you right now just to speak through me. Um, give me boldness. Give me courage. Um, I pray that the hearts of the people here in this room would be opened and online too. Um, I think that all of us can resonate with at least one or more parts of Elijah's story. And my hope is, my prayer is, that someone will leave this room or turn off their computer today after listening online, and they would be encouraged, they would be inspired, and they would have hope. We pray all of these things in your precious holy name. Amen. All right, so, Elijah. Um, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to give you a brief overview of what was going on at the time. Um, it was an interesting time. It was several hundred years um, before Jesus. Um, it happened after Moses says, let my people go, and he takes them into the promised land, or Joshua does. Um, and we've got the country of Israel that is now split into two regions. There's the northern part of Israel and the southern part. 
we're going to focus in on the northern part. And at this time, they have a king named Ahab, who is an evil, evil king. And he's got a nasty wife named Jezebel, who if you've ever heard the name Jezebel spoken to someone, it probably was not a compliment. Don't ever name a kid that. Um, so you have Ahab and Jezebel who are ruling. Now, interesting, interestingly enough, they are the 19th consecutive evil king. 19th consecutive. So over 200 years, they've had an evil king. And we're not talking about your political you know, views now. You like him. You don't like him. You wish it was her. You didn't wish it was her. All these things that we think. That's not where we're going. What we're talking about here is pure evil. I mean, we're talking child sacrifices. We're talking about um, weird sex things happening in the temple. I mean, all this stuff is happening because Ahab and Jezebel don't follow the Lord. They're following and they're worshiping Baal and Baal's wife, Asherah. So those are um, idols, little statues, and that's who they worship. Um, Baal was considered to be the god of weather, of seasons, of harvest, of fire, all of this. And so they, they worshiped they worship Baal. And the worst part was is that they had turned the hearts of the people of the Lord away from God, and they had started following Baal as well. So at this point in our story, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out and go to 1 Kings chapter 17. Um, you can get it on your phone too. You have some of the notes or some of the verses in your, um, in your sermon notes today. Um, we'll have a few fill in the blanks. But there's so many that I'm going to tell you the story of a lot. And like I said earlier, go back and read it later today. So here we have um, this time where God has said, enough is enough. He's heartbroken for his people. And so he calls up Elijah, who is a prophet. And a prophet, prophet is someone who is anointed by God and who communicates God's words to the people. So um, here we have Elijah the prophet, the prophet, and we're going to start off on your notes. So here goes the beginning of his story. Now, let me tell you one more thing first. Elijah is going to go through crazy seasons, which is why I'm talking about him today. I've gone through them. I think you've gone through them. And so we're not looking at Elijah as the hero. We're looking at Elijah as an inspiration and as an encouragement because of the way that the character of God and the love of God comes alongside him through all of his seasons and he's there giving him exactly what he needs when he needs it. So that's where we're going with Elijah. So here we go. The first time we hear about Elijah is actually in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, it's an interesting introduction. We've never heard of Elijah before, and this is what it says. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead says to Ahab. That's it. We don't hear about his story. We don't hear about his history. We don't hear about his family. It's literally, this is Elijah from Tishbe. I'm Melissa from Liberty Township. You know, that's Paul from South Carolina. This is how we're introduced to, is, to, um, to Elijah. Um, and then it goes on to say this. Um, he says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Now, this is a bold, scary statement because we're living in an agricultural society here. Um, this isn't just an economic slowdown. This is a shutdown. This is catastrophic. If, the, if the, what he says is true and the rain doesn't come and the dew doesn't come, you're talking the crops are going to die, the animals are going to die, there's going to be a famine, nothing's going to live. So he says this to the king. Um, and then nothing really happens there. And I think, wow, that could have been a really cool fight, right? No. Um, then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. 
The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Very interesting. So the Lord has him go in front of Ahab, and then he says, now go. The reason he tells him to go to the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan, the Jordan was the big river, was first of all because the ravine would have water for him in, this, in the drought, but it's also a great hiding place because Ahab is ticked off, and he's got people hunting, hunting Elijah, looking for him. He wants him dead. So he's hiding here in this brook. Interestingly enough, too, you've got, um, he's got the brook, which is not drying up, but then you have the ravens, and ravens are unclean birds. You guys know what the ravens are? They're kind of gross. Um, I lived in Texas as a kid, and I think we called them grackles. Maybe they're different birds, but this is what I was thinking of. So you've got these nasty birds who are, who are known to not even feed their own young. Did you know that about ravens? I didn't. That was a cool fact I learned this week. So um, you've got the ravens who are bringing him the meat and the bread in the morning and at night. The other thing I love is that he doesn't just put him in this Kareth Ravine and say, okay, ravens are going to come. They're going to stock your fridge. They're going to do your, your pantry. You're set. I'll come back and check on you. Let me know if you need anything. He doesn't do that. He has to totally trust in God every morning and every night just to survive. So every morning and night, these, these birds bring him food. So here's some fill-in-the-blanks that you can go ahead and start with on your, on your sheet. First thing is, the um, Kareth Ravine, Kareth means to be cut down. Cut down, broken, or separated from. That's what that word means. How cool is that? That God takes Elijah to this place that is named cut down, separated from, broken, Elijah's all alone. He's completely um, probably worried and scared. He's got people coming after him. Um, he's broken down. Everything that he had or the life that he had is now not happening. He's alone here at this ravine, and he's being fed by, by birds. Um, and it, and that's, that's so cool because at this time, here's your next one, he was completely dependent on God, completely dependent on God. And what I love is that God provides for him um, very, with very unlikely sources. Who would have thought that ravens would bring him meat and bread in the morning and meat and bread in the evening, right? Um, I've had people that have come into my life or circumstances that I did not at all see that they were there for the, for the better of me, that God had sent them there. But they had huge impacts on my life. Um, but they were very unlikely sources. I think you've probably had people in your life, if you really think about it, that God's put in your life in a strange time that were very unlikely sources. So God, you don't have to think in the box with him. Um, I need you to help me like this. God is so much bigger than that. He even uses the raven. So um, Elijah was at a time of preparation at the ravine. God was doing things in him so that soon he could do things through him. He does the same thing with us in those seasons when we're alone and we've been cut down and things that we loved are lost. Um, it's not necessarily a time that's going to be the end-all, be-all. It could be that God's preparing you for something that's coming. Um, all right, so sometime later, doesn't that sound like a thing in SpongeBob? Sometime later? I, yeah, okay. Um, the brook dried up. This is in verse 7. The brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, and the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zareph, the reason of the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. Zarephath, pronounced it wrong the first time. Forgive me. Um, so here we have another time when God says, go here. And Elijah goes, I'm there. 
God says, I'm going to provide through the ravens. God says he's going to provide through the widow. Boom, he's there. Obedience. Doesn't even think twice. Um, so what I, what I love about this is that he goes to Zarephath, and there's this woman. Now, he's been told by God that there's going to be a widow there to supply him food. And when he gets there, he sees this woman, and she's gathering sticks and sticks and sticks like for a fire. So he asks her for water. And she says, sure, I'll get you some water. And he said, I also need you to bring me a cake. That's what they called their bread back then. It would be cool if we all ate cake, right, instead of bread. They gave you cake. So he says, could you bring me a cake? And she says, I can't do it. I have one serving left of oil and one serving left of flour. That's it. And I'm actually gathering sticks to make a fire to make that last cake for me and my little boy to eat. And then we're going to die. That's what it says. We're going to die of starvation. And he says to her, no, 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 the Lord sent me here and told me you were going to be able to provide for me, and I trust God. Why? Probably a lot to do with the fact that God supplied everything he needed when he was at the ravine, right? So he says to the woman, just do it. Go back and make a cake for me first, and then make one for you and your son. And in verse 14, it says he tells her this, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain on the land. And guess what? She went away and did what Elijah told her. And miraculously, for three years, it doesn't run out. They're okay. But sometime during this time, the little boy gets really, really sick, and he dies. And the woman is beside herself. She's distraught, and she says to Elijah, have you come here just so my son's going to die? And he says, you know what? Nope, this isn't going to happen. His faith was so strong that the Lord would provide yet again. He grabs the little boy. He runs up the stairs to his room. He lays the little boy out, and he begins to pray. He cries out to God. Um, so this is, this is pretty cool. Then it says here, this is what it says in chapter uh, 17, verse 21. Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. So not just once, stretch, two, three, right? He stretches over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. <sighs> Picks up the boy, runs down the stairs, gives him to the mom. And you know what? After three years that God supplied the food for them, you know what she says? She goes, now, I believe that the Lord is God. Now I believe that the Lord is God. It's crazy. Sometimes God provides for us time and time and time and time and time and time again, and we still doubt. And it takes something like this to make us go, yes, and don't we wish that we just would have believed earlier? It might have saved her quite a bit of stress when this happened. So here's some more blanks for you. Elijah's dependence on God prepared him to speak faith, into seemingly impossible situations. His faith allowed him to do that. I don't believe that, and this is just Melissa talking, but if he hadn't gone through what he's gone through so far, where he cries out to God and he answers, he doesn't have any water, he's provided. He doesn't have any food, the birds come. If he hadn't gone through all of that, I wonder what he would have done when the woman said, my son is dead. I don't know. We won't ever know that. So he speaks faith. And then I want us, I want us to look at this too. So it says at the beginning of the part I just read, sometime later the brook dried up, and then the Lord says, go here. So we all have brooks, and sometimes our brooks dry up. Could be we lose a job. Um, we have a fractured relationship. We have um, circumstances that change everything. Maybe we have to move locations. 
So I want to challenge you with this thought for you in your life. Sometimes our brook dries up so that we have the courage. This is one of your blanks. We have the courage to leave where we are and go where we need to be. Leave where you are and go where you need to be. Sometimes we know that the where we are isn't the right spot, but we don't really want the hassle of changing everything to get to where we know we should be. So don't let your brook just dry up. And if your brook has dried up, if something's happened in your life, don't sit and complain about it. Do something about it. Listen to where God is leading you. Watch for those doors to start opening and then move. All right, so let's move on. I told you we're doing 30,000 foot view. This is really exciting, isn't it? It's kind of fun. Great story. Um, we're moving on. All right, 1 Kings chapter 18. If you can't tell, I love, 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 love this story. Um, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Again, here we go. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So guess what Elijah did? So he goes and presents himself to Ahab. Wow, to be so obedient, right? Um, when, so here's a picture of Mount Carmel. It's going to go up on the screen. So this is where Elijah was. Okay, He goes up there, and he, and he comes to see Ahab, or Ahab comes to see him. And uh, that's, that's what it looks like today with the power lines. I'm sure it was not power lined before. But cool mountain, and you can see how tall it is, which is going to be relevant in just a minute. So when he saw Elijah, this is Ahab, he said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? And Elijah says in verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands. You have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal, the guy that they're worshiping, um, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So bring all the prophets, come on, and then bring the people of Israel, because I want them to see this. So Ahab sent the word out throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah goes before the people, and this is what he says. Now remember, they've been worshiping Baal. He, he goes before the people and he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, worship, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. So he's pretty bold in what he says. But guess what the people said? Nothing. They didn't say anything. So he's like, listen, stop wavering. Stop wavering. The Lord is God. We're going to worship Baal. The Lord is God. We're going to worship Baal. They kept going back and forth, back and forth through all these kings. And right now they're over here on Baal's side. And he says, enough is enough. Stop wavering. So here's your challenge. When are you going to stop wavering? How long will you waver? We don't worship Baal, at least I don't think anyone does. But we say the Lord is God. But this thing kind of comes before my worship of him. The Lord is God, but I'm going to put this in front of my relationship with God. Sometimes it's our family that takes precedence over God. Sometimes it's our job. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's kids' sports schedules, which are ridiculous now. They never were like that when I was a kid, right? So how long are we going to waver? If you're going to follow God, go all in and follow God. Do it. If you're going to follow all these other things, go all in. That's what he's saying to the people of Israel. All right, so this is what happens. It's a showdown. Some of you have heard this story. I know the middle schoolers that are older now are in the room have because I tell it because I love it. But the, he says to the people, right now, prophets of Baal, I want you to build an altar. 
to Baal. I'm going to build an altar to the Lord God. We're going to both kill a couple bulls. We're going to put sacrifices on the altars. Okay? And then we're going to take turns. You guys go first. And we're going to pray and we're going to call down from our God to send fire to come down and consume the altar. Come down and consume the sacrifice. And they were like, all right, that's good. We'll do it. So everybody builds their altars and all that. And he says, you guys go ahead and go first. Um, so they did. So now I'm going to read this part from my Bible with my glasses so you guys can hear it because it's actually really entertaining to me. Okay, so the altars are set. People of Baal go first. The prophets of Baal go first. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they made. So I read about this online, and they were talking about how back then the dances were not just, they were dancing around the altar, right? They were dancing, arms flying, people are all over the place, kind of like a mosh pit kind of a dance, right? So they're dancing around the altar that they made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. I love this. He is such a smart aleck. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's on a trip. He doesn't hear you. Perhaps he's sleeping and he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom. What? So they're going nuts, right? Cutting themselves until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Okay. So Elijah was probably giggling a little under his breath. And this is what he does. Elijah goes and rebuilds his altar because the crazy fools that worship Baal had probably knocked it down. So he rebuilds his altar and he puts his sacrifice on it. But he wants to be absolutely sure that the people who are watching don't think that this is like, oh, the lightning struck it. So what he does is he has the people go and fill up buckets of water and come and pour it all over the altar. What does that do? Is it easy to start a fire when you dump water all over it? No. Then he says, do it again. Then he says, do it again. So three times they come and they soak it, and he even has them build a trench around it. And it's, the Bible says here that um, it's covered in water, it's soaking wet, and the trench even fills up. So now there will be no doubt, right? Okay, so here we go. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. I love that he does this. The Lord... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you are Lord, you are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Are you ready? Boom! Fire from the Lord fell down, verse 38, and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it licked up all the water in the trench. That's so cool. Wouldn't it be neat to be there then? It was so good. Okay, he's probably going, woo, right? Yay, it happened. Okay, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. That means that they fell laying down on the ground because it was too much for them. So they laid down to the ground, and they, they yelled, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Oh, that's amazing. And then Elijah says to Ahab, now he probably could have been pretty cocky here, but he's not. Because remember, when God told him to go and confront Ahab, the last part of his request was, and I'm going to bring the, the rain to the land, right? So he goes to Ahab, 
And in, uh, in verse 41, it says this, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Now we'll learn in a few verses that there was not a cloud in the sky. Nothing. But he knew because God said, I'm going to bring the rain. So he says to Ahab, You better go. So Elijah or um, Ahab runs off and he grabs his horses and off they go and they're galloping along to Jezreel, which is where Jezebel was. And so they're leaving, but Elijah doesn't leave. Instead, he climbs up to the top of Mount Carmel. This is verse 42. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down on the ground and placed his face between his knees. Can you picture that? I'm not going to do it because it would be awkward to get back up right now. But get down on the ground and you put your face between your knees. Here he is at the top of the mountain. He's praying. He's praying. He's praying for the rain. And so what he does is, is he prays, and we don't know what he prays. It doesn't tell us the words, but we know he's praying. And he says to his servant, and his servant is the guy who's with him 24-7, right? So the, they're probably pretty close. He says to his servant, hey, I need you to go over there on the other side, and I need you to look and tell me if there's any rain coming. So he goes over and he looks comes back he says no there's nothing so elijah prays go look again comes back no nothing elijah prays goes back nope nothing seven times he goes back over so verse 44 the seventh time the service the servant reported a cloud the size of a man's hand is rising from the sea this big this is little hand right you can barely see it. it's rising from the sea so you know what uh, Elijah does? Yes. Here it comes. He's excited. He's expectant. He knows it's going to happen. So he tells his servant, go tell Ahab, rain's coming. You, servant, need to hurry up. Get all the stuff off the mountain. The rain's going to come. It's going to overtake you. So hurry up and go. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, verse 45. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Okay, rode off. Um, Here's, my, here's one of my favorite verses in all of this. As if, as if God hadn't given Elijah enough wow for the day with the fire and now the rain, right? It says here in verse 46, The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel, like the flash. I mean, we're talking about horses galloping 20 miles to Jezreel. And Elijah tucks his cloak in his belt, off he goes, beats him, gets there before Ahab even does. So I want to look, before we move on, at, at how Elijah's praying. Back, so get your notes back out if you, have, if you put them away. And I want to talk about how did Elijah pray. Elijah prayed capital letter prayers, P-R-A-Y, all caps. He prayed in capitals. Some of us, we get stuck in praying in the lowercase. I, I have. I do it. I've done it a lot. I wish I had not done it when my kids were little. It would just, you know, now I lay me down to sleep or, um, you know, God is great. God is good. Now, those are great prayers. They're good. They're valid. They're good. But imagine if we prayed instead of, would you just be with my family? What if we said something like, Lord, would you please reveal yourself to my kids when they're young so that as they grow up, they know you intimately and they have you there with them as they go through these trials and tribulations of growing up? That's a capital prayer versus a lower prayer. So Elijah has these four characteristics of his prayer that I think if we could take those on, might change everything for us. The first one is he's humble. He's humble. 
he's, he's humble in his posture. He's bent all the way down with his head between his knees. Um, and he's in awe of God. He knows that God is God and he is not. His, his prayers are specific. They're specific. He prays over the boy, Lord, please answer me, bring this boy back to life. He prays for the fire to come down that the people's hearts might be turned back. He's praying for rain. He prays in a specific way. And like I said before, what if we had specific prayers about our families, about our marriages, about our kids, about our friends, about our jobs? And then we watched God come through in these specific ways and he could blow our mind, right? Instead of the general ones where we think maybe that was God. Um, he, he prayed he was persistent. You know, he, it says he laid over the boy three times. What if he had given up after the first time, right? He sends the servant back seven times. Seven times. Because he knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that God was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And that was he was going to bring the rain. Be persistent. If you've been praying for something and it just doesn't seem like it's happened, don't give up. Don't give up. Get humble before the Lord. Be specific. Be persistent. Don't stop. And then he was expectant in his prayers. He was expectant. He knew that God was going to come through for him, partially because he had gone through the season at the ravine where everything depended on God, and he learned it became in him. We've never experienced anything like that. Maybe. Maybe you have. Maybe there was nothing else you could do, and God had to show up. All right, so Ahab shows back up in Jezreel, and he tells his wife, Jezebel, what had happened. Um, the fire had come down. God is actually God. Baal is not. Oh, and by the way, after the fire came down, Elijah gathered all of the prophets of Baal, and he killed them all. They're all gone. So Jezebel is furious, and she says, that's it. By tomorrow, he's dead. Somebody send a messenger to Elijah and let him know that I don't care how I'm punished, but by tomorrow, you're going to be like one of those, like one of the prophets of Baal that you killed. Now, let's look at Elijah. You have a guy who is completely dependent on the Lord. He's provided for his every need, his life dependent on God, and he came through. He's at the widow's house, and God uses him in spectacular ways in the life of somebody else. He has this mountaintop experience where he sees the fire come down, the rain comes, and he runs like the flash, all because of God. And now there's this woman, and she is ticked off. What should he have done? No worries. God's got this. Nope. You know what he did? Ah! Get ready. It's going to freak you out here. First Kings 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. What? He ran for his life. He was scared to death of this woman who was mad at him, who had said mean things about him and wanted to kill him. He runs for his life. When he comes to Beersheba in Judah, he leaves his servant there. And then, while himself, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. This makes no sense after what just happened. But he prays that he might die. Elijah is depressed. He's burned out. He's laying under a tree going, well, I know you did all this stuff, but she's mad. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to die now. Take my life. He says this to God. He prays. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Um, Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush in verse 5 and fell asleep. How many times have we done this? 
God has shown up in the most powerful way. We have a, we have a woman here in Four Corners, part of our family, who literally beat stage four pancreatic cancer. Who does that? Nobody. That's amazing. That's a miracle. Now, they're doing great. I'm not using her as an example here. But how many of us have come through something like that, something big that we know God did it? It was not us. And then we fall from up here. Depression. I can't handle it. It's too much for me. That's what had happened to Elijah. That's happened to me. Um, so 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him. So God sends an angel. And says, get up and eat. He looks around, and there by his head was some bit bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and he drank and he laid down again. God knew that in this moment, what Elijah needed most was he needed to be refueled, he needed to eat, and he needed to rest. He needed a nap. He needed to rest. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't correct him. The angel doesn't say, are you serious? After all of this, he doesn't do that. He touches him and says, get up and eat. Get up and eat. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, verse 7. Touch him, touched him and says, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. Now it's a journey. Before, it says Elijah ran for his life. To me, it looked like there was no real like goal there. But now we're on a journey. Um, the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights um, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. So he gets up, he eats again, and then miraculously, once again, he has the strength and the stamina to make it 40 days and 40 nights, and he goes all the way to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is the place that scholars say Moses met with God and received the Ten Commandments. How cool is that? So now he's seeking God. He's refueled, he's resting, and he's seeking after the Lord. So he shows up in this cave. So look at Elijah, and let's learn a little bit from him real quick. Some of us in this room, me included, have gone through stages where we are burned out and we're depressed. We're burned out and we're depressed. And I think that um, there are four different ways to, to get there. First of all, don't rest. These are in your blanks. Don't rest. There's some of you here in this room right now that are flat exhausted. Between work and your kids, maybe grandkids, maybe your neighbors, maybe your best friend, maybe... It's just a season of life that's super busy. Maybe it's your kid's sports stuff. Maybe it's, you know, the se summer season where people at your work are off and you have to work extra. Whatever it is, you are exhausted. And you need to rest. God said on the seventh day, God rested. That's what it says in Genesis. On the seventh day, God rested. And in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it talks about the Sabbath. It's a time to rest. So if you want to get depressed, best way, one first thing, don't rest. Get yourself worn out. Second thing, shut out people. It says that Elijah left his servant there, and he then went on a day by himself. He shut his friend out. Some of you have shut out other people, and you're a lone ranger, and we weren't meant to do life as a lone ranger, right? That's why I think I'm so passionate about groups, because I see it. I hear the stories. I watch it. When people who were once alone and they struggled and now they're in a group with people who they trust, that they love, who are, getting, who are praying for them and encouraging them, and all of a sudden that feeling's not there anymore because they know people have their back. So get a lot, that, shut people out. That's the second one. The third one um, is uh, focus on the negative. Focus on the negative. This is an easy thing to do. 
Elijah didn't focus on the fact that God had just thrown fire down from heaven. He had just sent the rain back after three years at his word, and he let him run like the flash. He wasn't, he wasn't or that he even uh, supplied food for him at the ravine. He wasn't focused on any of that. He was focused on this woman who was mad at him and wanted to kill him. And I can speak truth here. I've been here. Things are awesome. And I get a nasty little email. Or I get a mean text. Or I get a, did you really mean it when you said this? You know what? It's okay. But all these things that have just happened then all of a sudden grow strangely dim and I focus on the negative. Don't focus on the negative. And the last thing is, is that you take your eyes off of God. He trusted the Lord at the ravine. He trusted him at the widow's house. He trusted him um, on Mount Carmel. He trusted him as he ran ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. He trusted him for all these things, but now Jezebel's mad, and he's not looking at God. He's thinking about this woman. So he runs to this cave, right, on Mount Horeb. This is the last part of our story, and it's one of my favorite parts. Um, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah in this cave. Now, there's this picture online if you Google Elijah cave. You'll see it. I didn't show it because I don't know if it's real. could be a fake news thing. But it was pretty cool because it really is a picture of Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And there's this real little cave. And there are these rocks that are like all tangled up at the top. And I thought, ooh, wouldn't it be cool if that's it? So check it out when you get home. But um, I thought it was pretty awesome. Okay, so here's what the Lord, this is what the Lord does. The word of the Lord comes to him and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Do you think God knew what he was doing there? Yeah. I think he asked him because he wanted Elijah to voice it so that God could speak truth and kill the lies that Elijah was telling himself. That's what I think. What are you doing here, Elijah? So ready? Here's how Elijah responds. He responds, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put the prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Pity party all these things are terrible i don't know what i'm gonna do when the lord says what are you doing here so the lord answers and he says in verse 11 the lord said go stand out on the mountain in the presence of the lord for the lord is about to pass by wouldn't that be amazing so elijah goes outside and he stands like right there at the cave entrance you know and i'm going to pick up here in my bible because i want to read it to you straight from here So the Lord says, go stand at the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by, verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He was in the whisper. Now, after all of this, you might think he was going to be in the earthquake or the wind or the fire, right? He wasn't. It was personal. It was intimate. It was a whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied. This is probably what we would do. He repeated himself. I've been very zealous for the Lord God. And they're trying to kill us, and the covenant, and the broken altars. And he's putting the prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. He says it again. And you know what the Lord says? I love this. This is in your notes. 
The Lord says to him in verse 15, go back where you came. Go back where you came. He recommissions him in that moment. I've heard you. I understand. I'm sorry. It's all good. Go back where you came. Enough of this. And he tells him, go anoint this guy king over this, this guy king over this, and then I want you to anoint Elisha, who's going to follow your, in your footsteps. Go ahead and go do all that. So he recommissions him. He sends him right back out. There's no rest a little bit longer, do this. No. He recommissions him. So what, where are you? Where are we? We've got this story of Elijah, and I hope you can see now why I thought it was so important for you to see all of it, because it's all about radical, crazy seasons, right? We've all been through them. Maybe you haven't seen them exactly like Elijah did. I've seen them. In my life, I had a Kirith Ravine time when I felt like everything was stripped away like 10 years ago, and I worked in another church, and I loved it, and then that went bad, and there's mean Christians, and there's mean people, and I didn't have that, and I felt like I didn't have purpose, and I lost my best friend, and my husband and I were a little rocky, and my kids were three boys like this big, and huh, and I felt like I didn't have anything, but you know what? God used that time to prepare me for everything that I was going to do in the future. I mean, I've had moments with the, with the, like, with the widow where he's allowed me to, some of you are here in this room, that he's used me to speak into your life on his behalf, and it has been amazing. All because I had the faith that I got at the ravine. He's given mountaintop experiences. Last year was a whole experience. It was a mountaintop. You know, here, take, come out of student ministry where you're safe and happy and all of that. And deal with their parents and do adult development. And all these things we've talked about for seven years that we've wanted to do that we haven't done. Yeah, we're going to do them. And I want you to do it. Right. And they worked. Right? They worked mountaintop all year. But let me tell you, January came, and I was in the wilderness because I got burned out, and I was depressed. And I was like, you know what? Maybe Joseph's here because I'm done. I swear. I thought it. Down in the dumps. Down in the dumps. And then you have these moments where people will say to you, I hope they do, what are you doing here? Put your name in there. What are you doing here, Melissa? And there's a Waffle House meeting, which we have all the time, so that shouldn't seem weird. And Will and Ben literally are sitting at the table with me, and they said those same words. At least that's the way I heard it. What are you doing here? What's the matter? What's going on? And I did like Elijah did. Blah. And then this happened, and that happened, and la, 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 and I don't know what I'm going to do. And they gave me a little care, and then asked me again. And then you know what it was? So when are we going to start that? Recommission. And you know what? I'm ready. I've been through all of those things. Where are you? Are you in the ravine? Are you with the widow? Are you, in, are you on the mountaintop? Are you in the wilderness? That's the question for you this morning is what is it? But wherever you are, if you're in that, if you're in that dark place and you see it, here's your last fill in the blank. Rest, refuel, and restart. Rest, refuel, restart. Because if you're sitting here today and you are, because I'm seeing you, and if you're breathing... God's not done with you. He still has plans for you. That's awesome. So rest, refuel, start. So as I go through all, all these seasons in my life, I listen to a lot of mute worship music. I love it, especially the live ones. The live, not just in the, you know, the when they go in the studio. I like live worship, so I listen to it a lot. And I usually pick up on a song or two during that season, and that's like my song. 
listen to it all the time. It brings me hope. And there's this song called Do It Again by Elevation Worship that was that, see, was that for me over the last you know, year, year and a half. I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains. And I believe you're going to do it again. You made a way when there was no way. And I believe you're going to do it again. And I was like my pep rally song for myself, right? Um, I love that. I hope um, that you will feel that. I want that for you. So we're going to take a couple of bold steps, and then we're actually going to sing that song this morning. And I have to give shout-out to this band because I asked several weeks ago about, hey, could you guys learn this song because I really love it and I really want you to do it when I talk. And Will's not here because he's out on paternity leave. Maybe they'll be here second. You never know. But they're out. And so the band is like, yeah, we'll learn the song. Absolutely we'll learn it. And they owned it. And I sat in here and cried on Thursday night listening to them do it. And I'm like, yes. So anyway, we're looking forward to that. But let me give you some bold steps. Um, step A um, is that you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Now, I know we stayed in the Old Testament today. Um, but there is amazing parallel between the love and the personal and the provision that God gave to Elijah, that relationship they had, it doesn't even compare to the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. That's the way God reconciles us to him is through his son, Jesus. And if you don't know him, and this is all seeming like, man, I wish I had that, then check A, and I'll call you myself this week, and we can talk about it. Um, step B is that you want to be baptized. Baptism is the public, um, it's like a public way to show what God has done inside of you. In your heart we're doing a summer baptism outside it's gonna be awesome so if you've been on the fence at all this is your time check it and I will um, I'll be in contact with this week too C is that you're intrigued and you want to read about Elijah so um, if you check C I'll send you a reminder I'll also send you some cool right now media stuff on Elijah um, and so read first uh, Kings starting in chapter 17 all the way through about chapter 20 and you'll get all of the story that I just told you today. Um, D is um, I'm in Kareth right now. I'm in the Kareth Ravine. I'm cut down. I'm broken. I'm separated. And please pray for me. Um, please pray for God to do something great in me so that he can do something great through me because God is preparing you in this moment. He is if you're there. Have hope. Have faith. Depend on the Lord. And then E is, I'm ready to stop wavering, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yes, I believe in God. No, my life doesn't show it. Yes, I believe in God. No, my life doesn't show it. Um, pray for me to have the boldness, the courage, and the self-control to put God first in all the areas of my life. That's step E. Um, in just a minute, we're going to um, have the opportunity to give our tithes and our offerings. I'm going to pray before we do that. And if you check step A today, I'm going to pray especially for you um, that today would be the day that you wouldn't be alone anymore, that loneliness would disappear out of your life, that you would have God the Father right alongside you. Um, but before you do that, um, before we do that, I just want to say that, you know, my job as development pastor is actually, in a nutshell, to take people from first time to their second time to, to be like a regular attender, to them go through grow and become a member here, and then to help them become a fully developing follower of Jesus. That's my job. And I get to see the numbers, which represent souls and people, and I get to hear the stories, and you guys don't much. So I had a really cool number on my board uh, this week, and I just want to share with you, because you're the ones that made that happen. Here it was, since April 8th. And if you don't know, this is spectacular. This isn't like 
pretty good. This is, whoa, the rain is coming, right? We had 44 first-time people come through the doors since April 8th. That's awesome. 35 second time. 35? So half is like, yay. Uh-uh. 35 second time. 30 people since April 8th became a regular attender of this church. And 19 people in our last membership experience in Grow One became a member here. So now we're well over 200, 227, I think. It's been an amazing season. And we that happens because you give, you're generous, you allow our programming to happen, you give us margin to be able to do what we can do, and you guys serve and volunteer. So thank you. Um, let me pray for us. And then we get to sing this awesome song. So let me pray.